Damo, you big sweet tooth. Yes, MP, you chocoholic. So naughty but nice, we're a hit at the Wellness Summit and I want more. Well, how does 20 recipes in their free ebook Heavenly Healthy Desserts sound, MP? Jeepers, Damo, I'm loving that. Or you can hop on down to their brand new cafe, Selection Cafe in South Melbourne and receive 10% off your favourite healthy desserts. Woohoo! To do so, go to sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch and fill in your details to receive your free ebook and discount voucher. That's www.sonaughtybutnice.com forward slash couch. So naughty but nice, delicious nutrition. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by a very fun, very vibrant guest. Her her business card describes herself as a problem solver. She's an advocate for wellness, for ourselves, and for our planet, the one and only Alex Stewart. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brett. It's so great to be here with you. Great to have you on board. I'm looking forward to this. I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty fun-filled show. I just looked up your website, and the first thing that comes up there is this massive love heart. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to have a bit of, add a bit of heart into our paleo show today. So, Alex, you've got a great story. You know, you've gone through quite a journey for yourself, um, and have found some solutions along the way that have worked for you, and, and obviously, you know, developed into someone who is now helping lots of other people as well. But but let's start with you. Where did this whole journey begin with you, Alex? Uh, I guess it, it was one of those real slow burns, you know. It was just little bits of kindling that get getting thrown on this fire that was a deep desire that I had that I, it took me a very long time in my life to articulate, which was just to help people. And um, and I, I, I was one of those teenagers who had things like, you know, who made murals on my teenage bedroom wall, like prejudice is ignorance. And, you know, uh, my first boyfriend and I were musos and we would write songs and dream about our Grammy acceptance speeches where we would save the world from hunger or whatever. So people like Bono and Geldof and those sorts of pe- people really inspired me as a teen. But living in quite a conservative area, I... um. I didn't really know how to manifest that in the real world. I, I didn't feel like my upbringing had given me sort of powers and, and vocab and tools to become a problem solver really early in life. So um, side by side with that was chronic tonsillitis and migraines. As a teenager, I had both regularly and monthly, if not bi-monthly, um, uh, sorry, fortnightly. And uh, and I, I never really knew, neither did my mum. You know, we were part of the, the 1980s medical model where you just popped to the doctor and you got your antibiotics and you felt better for a bit. And I had migraine sprays. I had steroid sprays for, for inflammation. I had all sorts of things that I was regularly taking as a, as a, a teenager. And, um, and then, of course, started to get a little bit of acne and was put on the pill. And, um, and, you know, looking back, I think, you know, it's absolutely no one's fault that any of this was happening in my life because we can only operate through our own lens of knowledge. And at that stage, my doctor felt they were doing the right thing. My mother felt she was doing the right thing listening to my doctor. And I felt like I was doing the right thing, doing what everybody told me to do. Um, and it's, it's so funny. Retrospect is, um, a bit cringeworthy sometimes, isn't it? So, um, (laughs) 
So I moved on into my 20s. The problems didn't really go away until in my late 20s. I'll remember being my little flat in Bondi on my third round of the strongest antibiotics you could be put put on for strep throat or tonsillitis and um, they just weren't working and I was lying there in a feverish haze and I was spitting into this little plastic bottle because I couldn't bear to swallow. So I was kind of holding the bottle and lying on my bed with my head to the side and it was just the sorriest, sorriest. <laughs> it sounds moment. charming. Oh, it was a shocker. Yeah, <laughs> lucky we didn't know each other back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just a really big low point. And um, it's sort of thinking back, I think, gosh, we're so apocalyptic humans. We wait until the shit really hits the fan before we do something. And, uh, and, um, and for me, that doing something was asking a friend um, who her naturopath was because I'd kind of started to hear about naturopaths and, and was really ready to try anything. And th- 13 years ago, that was still quite hippie woo-woo to go to a naturopath. <laughs> um, but I did, traipsed across to Mossman. She's been my naturopath ever since. And um, what she did was she put me on... Uh, it's not a paleo solution, but it's um, it was soaked brown rice with very well-cooked carrots and um, the rice then cooked after soaking in chicken broth that I had to make myself. And she said, just nice. eat that for two days, take these two herbs, and you should be right. And I was. And um, the, the very small amount of work she did, um, even though nutrition wasn't her real focus, she just got me off all of those um, low-fat chemical poop storm products that are just full of additives um, that we were all eating in the in the in the 90s um, and early noughties and um, just started to introduce me to the concept of whole foods and then fortifying my immune system from the inside out and getting me off all processed dairy so she said to me that you know a little bit of raw high quality dairy like a Swiss gruyere or something like that was going to be fine, but I had to absolutely stop drinking carton milk and all those sorts of things. And it really worked. From one day to the next, I didn't have a, didn't have a migraine again. And um, I, I've had tonsillitis, a very mild case once in 13 years since, which was a particularly rundown period in a really mouldy house. So you can kind of understand why that happened, would have happened to anyone. So um, all the while, as I started to collect this information, um, I then had a baby um, that was just over six years ago now and when he was born when he was about five six five months old when I was starting to think about solids and educating myself in that space that was when I really started to um, learn about what what was what from food and it was because I was pretty um, what's the word strapped for cash at the time really strapped for cash and um, I had this David Jones gift voucher for 50 bucks. And I went to David Jones and normally if you were really, really strapped for cash, you'd probably buy food. But I brought a cookbook <laughs> and it was, it was totally enticed me. It was these really gorgeous looking cupcakes on the, on the cover and it was Whole Food for Children by um, my beautiful friend now, Jude Blureau. And um, I read the first 70 pages, which was just literally talking about the Whole Food Pantry and, um, and what goes in there and why, um, and was just consumed with logic. I just, I couldn't believe how logical what she was saying was, and I couldn't believe how 
illogical it was that I could have gone to one of the best schools in Sydney, in, in Sydney, one of the best universities, and had 17 years of non-stop education and yet never for one minute been taught that what I put on or inside my body affects how I'm able to be in the world in terms of tip-top condition. So it just started to become this mind-blowing, all-consuming um, journey that I then went on with the five recommended books she had in the back read all of those. So that was, of course, your nourishing traditions and your fourfold path to healing and all of those sorts of books and um, really started to look at then um, Western A. Price's work and um, the role of nutrient density in modern life and realised I was eating a lot of still, even though I thought I was starting to be healthier and, and a bit more additive-free, still a lot of vacuous foods. You know, I'm not someone who's actually against grains completely as long as they're properly prepared and they work for you in small amounts, but eating them all day, every day, when you should be eating the rainbow and, um, and nutrient-dense things like liver and all those sorts of things in, in your food mix. I mean, really, if you've got any room for anything else after getting your nutrient um, needs from that, then, then fine, knock yourself out with a little handful of pasta. But um, what, what was just so, um, uh, what just blew me away, I guess, was just how illogical food nutrition education was, how absent it was and how backed it was when you really started to dig um, an issue that Pete Evans is fighting um, very boldly and bravely <laughs> at the moment, I have to say, um, which is the fact that our DAA has corporate partners that sell food that really harms our bodies if we were to eat those as our major food sources. That just makes absolutely no sense to me. So it really started to get my justice goat, coming back to this teen who was very justice-driven, um, and and I just knew that being a good influencer and someone who was good at um, simplifying messages that were really complicated and tricky um, I, I just felt that I had to become a support person in this space and started to write, started to share what I was learning, started to realise very quickly that there wasn't just one way to heal or to feel well, that we couldn't just look at food, but we had to look at what we were putting on our skin and what we were absorbing through our environments. Then I had to sort of broaden that and think, well, it's not enough to just eat real food. We have to know where this food comes from. We now have to know how it's grown. We have to know whether the values of the way that food's produced fit in with our values as people because that, to me, unlocks a massive door for people from going from I have to eat this healthy food to there would be no other logic than to eat this beautiful healthy food in our world um, for my health and for the planet. So it started to then become the blog and in the blog I started to realise that talking just food or talking just about what I put on my skin or goes on in the environment wasn't enough and it had to be um, a, a beautiful consciousness for where we sit in the world and, and how the choices we're making every day affect our world around us. Um, and so it became about the mind as well and the health of our state of mind on this conscious journey of eating better and using better skin products and home cleaning products, etc. So that's how the low-tox life was kind of born um, as 
probably the least niche blog. Everyone <laughs> always says you have to find your niche, that one way you can help. It's like, no, because it's all linked. And, um, and there are plenty of wonderful niche blogs to drive people to that just talk about those tiny things. But I actually really enjoy being a generalist who helps people open up to how exciting it is that everything's linked um, for our health and the planet's health and how that all works together and, and how it feels cool to become really conscious. And it's actually quite freeing and it stops being this heavy kind of, I have to be healthy and I have to do this and those horrible words like falling off the paleo wagon or whatever people say. <laughs> this concept of failure in the health space is, 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 is so unhealthy really. So when you make it about something so much bigger than yourself, I find it helps people feel really um, mentally cool and calm when sometimes something's not in your control and you have to eat the non-organic chicken at your mate's barbecue and you just go with the flow. And, you know, I think, yeah, so it's become quite a big subject with many little subparts. But that's sort of the very long story of how I started my blog. Oh, it's great. I loved it. That was beautiful. There's so many good bits in there that I just want to delve into and ask you about. Um, so, But to start with, a question, I guess taking it right back to the start, The question, one question I've got for you that came up as you were going through that story is, why did you wait until it, the, the you-know-what hit the fan? Like, What was it for you? Because I think this is probably insightful for others as well. Why do you think it is that you waited until it got as bad as it was before to deciding to do something about it? I think because I grew up, it's it, just so much of it is part of what you're exposed to as you grow up. Let's just say you've never seen any docos, no TV shows. You've always just gone to school, shopped at Woolies, um, had your um, Arvo tea with your mates at the local chicken shop, done your music practice, done your dancing five days a week with your Smith's salt and vinegar chips and your um, Gatorade. And, um, you know, like if that's that's just a regular... Aussie life, um, like it or, or not. And if you haven't been exposed to anything else, you just think, oh, well, that sucks. Lucky there's a doctor and they've got this medicine that works. But when that stops working, you then are faced with either saying, well, um, I guess this is just going to be my life and I'm going to be a really unhealthy person or, thank gosh, something inside you says there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more effective way. And um, I think critical thinking is something that we don't really get taught in our school system. Um, And it's something that I love about, say, someone like Sir Ken Robinson over in the UK who's got an amazing TED Talk about education if you want to check that out. But um, really being a critical thinker is probably the best skill you can have armed for life and yet it's something that's not taught in any of our education um, as a subject, as a topic, um, unless you do philosophy in like a French school system, they're really good at teaching critical thinking. So um, it just depends on the culture you're brought up in and in Australia we're just not brought up to think critically. So you just do what everyone else is doing and it's just, thank gosh, I guess, for me that it got so bad that I had to ask myself if there was a better way. And that's when I remembered that friend at uni or I think it was actually, no, I was in hospitality at the time. So it was a friend who I was bartending with um, who she went and saw 
Um, and, and yeah, it all, it all went from there and got off the pills, stopped smoking a pack a day, did all sorts of wonderful things. Amazing. Amazing what happens when you start making some of those changes. Yeah, yeah. So, Alex, for you, you, you mentioned before, I guess, that your, your dream, even from a young age, was to, to heal the world, you know, to yeah. change the world, to change the entire population. Um, yet, I guess what ended up happening was that you started changing yourself first. Um, and so, I'm curious as to whether, was that a conscious decision at any stage for you where you sort of went, well, I have to heal myself if I want to help other people or, or is that just the way it kind of panned out? Do you know, it's only retrospectively that I see that that's exactly what happened. You're absolutely mm. spot on. And I, I think there um, there is something beautiful in teachers, educators, problem solvers, whatever you want to call anyone who's out there helping in whatever way they're helping in the world, is the mess that they've come from and harnessing the power of coming through a mess and turning it into a message. And... Um, it's it's just such a, a an exciting kind of goosebumpy way to start to make a difference in the world because you've seen how you've done it for yourself, and um, and uh, my health is by no means perfect. I actually have a bit of a thyroid problem, but I manage that beautifully. Um, and uh, and I think it's about not being perfect as well and realizing that there's there's no perfect time to start helping. If you've got knowledge that you know is going to help other people, whether it's one family member, whether it's your school community, whether it's um, with a blog where you start to reach out beyond your family and your community, however that manifests for you, if you've got something to share and you've figured out a way to make life better, then I think it's it's stingy not to. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're dead right. So many people think they have to wait until. And, and I always say, you know, all you really need is to know a little bit more than the person you're talking to or even just have a slightly different perspective to the person you're talking to. To create And you can, and you can be of help. Discussion. Exactly right. Yeah. So you spoke before a little bit, Alex, about whole foods and about nutrient density. And so can you just explain you know, what you mean when you say nutrient density? Because there'll be some people who aren't necessarily, I guess, aware of that term and, and what exactly that means. So nutrient density, I like to think of it as how much is in that bite of food, What? how much of a punch is it packing for you? Is it working for you? Are you eating a vacuous, like, um, you know, processed packet of rice crackers um, with a whole bunch of additives or are you eating a little piece of um, a little tiny spread of liver pate on a small cracker? the nutrient density of that tiny spread like a teaspoon of pate on a cracker is working serious miles towards your daily intakes of a number of nutrients, whereas eating a whole bag of um, processed chips hasn't even touched the sides of any of the nutrient requirements you have. Um, And it's sort of basically about, um, and then another thing you can think about in the vegetable world is the depth of the colour. So the deeper the colour, the, the greater the nutrients. So those dark leafy greens as opposed to something pale like celery. You know what I mean? So um, just making sure there's intense coloured fruit and veg and um, intensely nourishing um, uh, food. So you could move from eating like a whole kind of big hunk of meat if you're not much of a meat person. Something like offal, like a liver pate is fantastic because you can just have a tiny bit and get some really incredible um, requirements across a number of um, major vitamins, proteins, amino acids, etc. So um, it's yeah, something yeah. I do a lot of work with with parents 
because they're like, oh, my child's always hungry. They're pestering me every 20 minutes. And we have a little look at what they're eating through no fault of their own, of course, because, you know, we do what we do because everyone around us is doing the same thing. And, um, and it's not until you stop and do a bit of workshopping on something with someone who knows a bit more, as we were just saying, that you can start to get some clues as to why that child is hungry every 20 minutes. And quite often it's because they're eating food that's just never telling their brain they've had enough. Um, they're still searching for vitamins, minerals, amino acids, proteins. Um, they're just not getting them in all these really vacuous, carb-heavy, um, sugar-heavy snacks. So, yeah. You know, it actually reminds me of something we did uh, with the Wellness Guys, my other podcast show. And in the early days of our show, we actually did a live show at the Fringe in Adelaide, and, okay. and which was really fun. And it was quite hilarious because the boys didn't realize that the Fringe was a comedy sort of festival. And anyway, it was very fun. But we did all these sort of live props and things. And one of the things we did was we had an eating contest. And we actually had someone eat a 175-gram bag of potato chips. And uh-huh. we had someone else eating a calorie-equivalent amount of apples. Yeah. Um, which, as it turns out, was something like 18 apples, you know, to have the same yeah. amount of calories. And, you yeah. know, the, the difference, obviously, in the ability to eat those, in the satiety that came from that, and all that, obviously, the nutrient density with that um, was really stark. And, and it was just kind of a cool, fun example of, um, of exactly what you're talking about in terms of that nutrient density. Oh, exactly. And then nature, I mean, the other point to make here is that nature packages stuff for us beautifully. We don't have to do a thing, and yet we do do a thing, and that's where it kind of starts to go wrong. Um, like you can't eat 10 apricots, but you could probably eat 20 dried apricots. Yeah. You know, and just that simple example like that, dried apple as well, you can just inhale those things if you keep going and going and going. And it's because you're getting too much sugar and not enough water and your brain's not matching up what you're getting um, and it's still looking for the water where you're just giving it the sugar. Um, in a dried fruit situation. So it's really, really interesting. And once people just get those basic couple of ideas in their head um, that the majority of the food we eat should be as nature packaged it up for us to enjoy, um, then your nutrient density is sorted. You don't have room for all the vacuous stuff that's not nourishing you. And it starts to become how am I, how well am I nourished rather than how well am I filling myself up. Mm. This is just a very different thing, and when you've got the difference between those two things, it, might, it gets much easier. I love that. And so, one of the things you spoke about before was it was about the I guess feeling like you have to eat healthy, and that really struck a chord with me because I've actually just finished. I'm in the process of just finishing writing a healthy kids eating book, um, oh. and and it's all about getting kids to love to eat healthy rather than feel like they have to eat healthy. So, and it sounds like that's what you're talking about. You're making that same sort of very similar sort of distinction because I think what what I've realised from writing that book is that all of the principles I've put into that book apply to everyone not just for kids so totally I couldn't agree more Brett with um myself and um fellow health coach Brenda Janshek are running right now um a program that'll be super close to your heart with the book you're writing which is Thrive Raising Kids Who Love Real Food and um and we've got hundreds of families in there that we're doing exactly that with and it's, it's almost like, you know, I, I like to give this example when I do workshops, parent-oriented workshops, I talk about the tone that we use when we talk about food with our kids. And if you just step back and look at your average um, 
Aussie parent talking to a kid about, say, a cupcake versus broccoli. We'll do this and I will do it for you. I'll do the dramatic reenact right here. <laughs> I can hear it already. Yeah, yeah it's coming. <laughs> so, you know, we, we grab the little cupcake and we go, who wants a little cupcake? And it's like it's the most exciting, you know, mm. we're marketers with this thing yeah. and we are marketing the, the heck out of them to be the most exciting thing that that kid could get. And then we swap to the dinner table where little Johnny's not eating his broccoli and we say, eat your broccoli. And there's this all this stern, horrible kind of negative association yeah. around the very foods that are the ones that nourish us the most. Yeah. So and you'll be like, you won't like this, but... Yes, I know. Or to say in front of other adults, oh, Johnny's really bad with his veggies. Mm. You know, like, hello. It's like telling everybody your kid's shy over and over again at every public <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what, we, what we feel becomes us. So it's really important that we get that tone right and that we get as excited, if not more excited, by the stuff that is going to make them happy, healthy, grow strong. Um, and it's a real light bulb for people. It's really interesting when when we just lift that lid on on this regular um, way of talking about different foods to kids and go, oh gosh, yep, that's me. Yeah, you know, a lot of parents do it, and I, it's it's so normal for us to do it. No one's at fault. No one should even be feeling guilty. We haven't even identified the problem until just right now when we just talked about it for the listeners today. So don't feel guilty. Mm. Just get excited that you know new stuff and, and start changing it up. Yeah, and I guess the other side of that then is, is how to motivate them to love it, you know, mm-hmm. and how to connect it in with the things that they love doing, the things that they want to achieve in their life, you know, whether they might be like you, they want to help people, you know, and, and showing them how doing that and how loving their body and nourishing their body and feeding their body can help them do the things that they love so that they're motivated to do it, not just doing it because you tell them they have to. Exactly, you know, and I think I, I'm thank God for my half French heritage when it comes to food and I realized that that's the culture that that meant that I had a really um a really just balanced view of just when you were at the table and when that dinner plate was put in front of you that's what you were having and you found new things to like and of course you have more favorites and some that you don't love as much that's absolutely normal and fine but to not eat as a family and and um, and to make a, a fuss about foods and things. It's just not part of the French culture. And I think there's that fantastic Karen Lebillon book, which is um, French kids eat everything. And uh, that's, you know, for any parents who might be listening to this today struggling, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book um, to to hook into and, and see the American woman's journey into living in um, the French in in France and and how it affected her kids and the way they ate as a family. It's just beautiful. So what are your big tips, I guess, Alex, for kids and for adults in mm. terms of finding their why, in terms of, I guess, their diet, but also their lifestyle um, and helping them find, you know, how they can love to do it rather than feel like they have to do it? Yeah, love it. Great question. So I guess... My favorite tip is to actually make it about something bigger than yourself. So in my e-courses, I've got Real Food Rockstars, um, Low Tox Life. People join these e-courses at the start thinking, oh, great, I'm going to learn how to eat healthier food and I'm going to learn how to put safer cosmetics on my skin and use better cleaning products. 
But because of the way I teach, which is always to link everything to our place in the world, where our dollars are spent, the type of companies we support and how we feel more and more comfortable as we learn more and more, realizing that actually it's not about not being able to hold back from that um, that packaged chocolate bar. I won't name any names, but it's actually about thinking, well, do I agree with eating or feeding my child um, colours that are banned in Europe? Well, what's going on there? Why is, this, why is this company putting that in there? Why um, do they have to use uh, genetically modified ingredients in there? Why do they have to rip down um, forests in a really unsustainable way that kills orangutans? Actually, no, I'm a good person with with values that cares about um the world and i don't i don't like the way this company doesn't care about the world and when we start to make these associations realize what we're doing when we put that money across the counter um and and how it links to both our values and what a little teeny tiny micro message we're sending out to the world with everything we buy it starts to stop being about, oh, no, I shouldn't, that's naughty, to, oh, as if I would support a company like that. And I really find that very powerful for the people um, who I've um, uh, had the pleasure of um, helping along their journey because it stops being this really self-indulgent kind of journey mm. and it just starts being this really awesome be a good human project. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. might sound a bit hippie woo woo, um, but I really think it works to make it much bigger than ourselves. Um, and and that's that's definitely a tip that I have. And um, I'm so not plugging my products here intentionally, but it just seems appropriate to mention again another one, which is the ebook that I wrote a couple of years ago, Real Treats. Um, which is all about, firstly, redefining what a treat is. You know, we call this stuff treats, but it's horrible, toxic, weirdo processed yeah. packets of crazy stuff. And treats are about celebrating the most special times in our lives, a delicious get-together with a friend, someone's birthday, New Year's. These are really special, beautiful times. So why are we saving the toxic junk? For special, beautiful times. It just makes no sense. Well, it's a really short-term approach, isn't it? Like we're thinking about how we feel as Mm. we eat it. But if Mm. you look at it from a longer-term perspective and say, well, is that really treating myself tomorrow or the next week or in three Mm. years' time, then it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? None at all. And so then it's about starting to to learn what is a real treat. How do we cook better um, when it does come to those special celebrations? Or how do we find people to outsource to that we actually feel comfortable outsourcing to? That's Mm. another thing because there's a lot of busy, double-working families and making everything from scratch just is not an option. But there are so many wonderful options now where you can buy the healthier version of the cake for Mm. your little one's birthday or you can bring in beautiful whole food organic catering for your dinner party um, or your your wife's birthday or whatever it is that you just need a bit of help outsourcing with. It doesn't have to be um, supporting weirdo, strange, additive-laden food anymore. There's a, there's a choice, which I really, really love. And I um, love that. I love that you've just redefined the chemical stuff as the weirdo stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Weird. 
Yeah, it's t- it's not a treat. It's weirdo. What do I call it? Weirdo processed packet- packets of fakeness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's because, a fun one. Because so often when we're doing the healthy stuff, that's yeah. what people define as weirdo, isn't it? Yeah, I know. That's the thing. So we're just going to flip that around. I love it. And I think another tip then to that point is really dealing with whether it be our partners, whether it be the mum-in-law, whether it be someone in our friendship circle feeling threatened by our new choices towards um, better options for our health and the planet, this is a huge issue that doesn't get talked about a lot, which Mm. is how do we then be ourselves with the relationships we've formed yet with this new way of thinking because food is so intimate and people can feel very threatened and taken aback when someone very close to them makes very different food choices all of a sudden. Um, And uh, for me, my tip there is to make sure you don't become the preachy person who's like the God (laughs) delivering the the sermon to everybody around, you know, and and telling everyone how it now has to be. Um, And I think that's something I went through. I lightly did that. We've all been that person, Alex, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, totally. And if, if I can stop someone from being that person for their circle, then um, then today's interview was totally worth it for that reason alone. Um, and the way that you do that is you ask questions. You say, oh, why do you think it's so weird? Just put the power back into the conversation between the two of you rather than making it a talk-down sermon or, um, just as bad, feeling threatened by nasty comments from people who don't understand the journey you're on. So open it up as a discussion and say, why do you find it so weird? Oh, well, you know, it's just, oh, you know, they'll probably say, oh, bloody Pete Evans. (laughs) Poor Pete. (laughs) Poor Um, Pete. um, But they'll probably say, you know, they'll pick something from mainstream media that, you know, it's like a very vanilla, very top line look at whatever situation um, that you've obviously researched a lot further to make the choices you've started to make and um, and say, oh, really, um, what is it about what he's talking about that you don't um, agree with? You know, and you just get people talking because in talking you start to understand where they're coming from and then you can maybe help them understand something a bit more deeply. And to me, you then back the heck off and you share the documentaries. Yeah. Let the other experts do the talking and you say, you know, I'd really love to sit down with our kids and just watch this one doco that I've heard about, um, say Fed Up or That Sugar Film or Hungry for Change. If you've got older kids because the um, themes are quite complex and intense, um, Food Inc. is incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and just watch them together and make the conversation a level playing field where you've both had access to information rather than yeah. just you having information. And, you know, Alex, I just listened to a great podcast on this exact topic on Up for a Chat, which is one of our other podcast shows with Cindy O'Meara and Kim Morris and Karen Smith, and they did a great job of talking about this. And, and they also talked about the fact that it's just a natural part of your progression and that actually yeah. it's more so to do with your knowledge than, and your projections than it is to do with other people and that when mm. you're just new to this stuff and you're still learning learning, then you do tend to get a bit defensive and you feel threatened when you're challenged. But yeah. but the more you learn and the more sure of yourself you are and the more sure of the, the, the way you're doing it is right, then yeah. it really just doesn't affect you. And you do become a bit like Pete Evans and it just kind of is water yeah. off a duck's back and you just brush it off and keep doing what you're doing anyway. So, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and quite often that does actually mean realizing that your values have changed but if someone else's values don't change, yeah. um, you know, you, you find a few more new friends that are aligned and and you end up creating incredible friendships that are even deeper because you've got 
you're in touch with your values as a person. Absolutely. So it's really interesting, um, the journey, and, you know, something that probably deserves a whole other podcast. But oh. I definitely recommend um, just stepping back and letting other experts do the talking so that people can decide for themselves rather than feeling like you have to be some sort of messenger because when you're an ordinary person without a qualification, it can be quite hard to come across as convincing and um, and it's just best you keep that pressure out of a friendship or relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you do have a qualification, it's often easier when it comes from someone else rather yeah. than yourself because you're just that guy they've known yeah. since they grew up, you know, whatever. Now, Alex, we are completely out of time. I do uh-huh. feel like we could go on to about three or four more podcasts talking about all this stuff because we feel like we're just getting warmed up. But thank you so much for being on the show today, Alex. You're super welcome. It was great to have a chat. And so for people who want to find out more about you, they can head to alexstuart.com and that's A-L-E-X-X and Stuart is S-T-U-A-R-T. So alexstuart.com. They can find you Alex underscore Stuart on Twitter and Instagram and Periscope and I'm sure they can search for you on Facebook as well and find you on all of those places. Um, So until next week, Join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.